but another side of it is that what's consistent in a lot of progressive Christians, a common thread I'm seeing is a genuine uh, degree of despising event, what they consider white evangelical Christianity. Yes. yes. And what they, what they then go on to talk about isn't just some sort of peculiarly white Christianity or some peculiarly modern evangelical, because there are some legitimate criticisms you can bring them in against any group. Sure, yeah. And every evangelical I know, it says that, right? I got so there's my nothing new here. complaints about the evangelical church. So I talk about them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And every, every evangelical I know is open to that, right? But what the progressives are doing is they're, they're, um, they're not distinguishing between that's peculiarly evangelical, more modern little flavor that's been added into, rather, they're just bringing everything in scripture there too. And they're reconstructing a new version of Christianity that reflects their preferred views. And so they have an enemy, evangelical, white, especially white, they call white evangelicalism, and they have an agenda to replace it with their own version. And, you know, this is, this is wrong from the beginning because it's not based on commitment to Christ, but Christ is going to be drug along and painted with their current views, whether you know, whether that's accurate or not. All right, you know me, I'm Mike Winger, and this is Kira Davis. She asked me to come on her podcast, Just Listen to Yourself, to talk about politics. Now, I don't normally talk about politics, so I'm trying to be careful with my words in this interview and share what is biblically grounded and not get into every type of issue, but we get deep into a lot of stuff, and I've added timestamps down below in case you want to bounce around and find just what is most relevant to you. That being said, Here's the interview with Kira Davis. You can also find her podcast in a link in the description. Happy to join you. And I know you wanted to talk about political stuff. And I have to I have to throw out the disclaimer of my own uh, inability here. And I'll just try not to speak beyond whatever I do understand uh, so as to not cause problems for anybody. I don't want to lead somebody, you know, with ignorance. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. But, but um, I do think the issues matter a lot and they're very important. And so hopefully we can have a fruitful, fruitful time together. Yeah, well, let's I we're just already started, I guess. So why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners, to people who might not know who you are? And my listeners run the gamut. I'm on an inner city radio station, so I have a, a huge urban base, but I also have a lot of liberal listeners as well. Um, but uh, but I do find that most of the people who listen to this show um, regard faith in some important measure in their life. Yeah, well, I definitely do. <laughs> um, that's the center of my life is 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 that faith in Christ ultimately. So I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Christian. I happen to be a pastor from Southern California who started doing online content. My goal was not preaching exactly. My goal was to help people learn how to think biblically about everything, which has to do with analyzing issues and passages of scripture. I do a lot of actual just Bible teaching, but I also tackle topics and then try to ask the question of, hey, if I survey the scriptures. What different things does the Bible say about that issue or that issue? And how do I understand that carefully? I love talk, tackling controversial stuff, but trying to handle it even handedly and without the inflammatory stuff that often gets in there. And God has really blessed it. I mean, the, the YouTube channel's got it's yeah. over, over 370,000 subscribers today, uh, as wow. somewhere up there right now. And I'm blown away because it's not entertainment, it's education. And people, people are interested. Do you, but people are hungry. This is what I'm finding. I felt yeah. the same way when I started this podcast, I, which has grown immensely and has a huge and dedicated fan base. I thought when I started, why would anyone want to listen to me talk about things that I find to be very simple? You know, yeah. like I'm just sort of I'm not coming up with anything new. I'm not a 
you know, I'm not an idea person. I'm an expressive person. So I was like, why would someone listen to me talk for an hour? But I think what happened is people are hungry for explanation for anal for analyzing things. We don't do that much anymore. Yeah. And they're hungry for clarity. I yeah. Think. I think you, I think that's the nail on the head. It, here's my thought was I would make content for a slightly younger version of myself, right? Like me stepping into these studies, what was I hungry for? And I was like, I don't want someone just to tell me what to believe here. I, mm-hmm. I want them to explain why I should believe that yes. I, if they're going to make a claim, I want to see that scripture supports that claim. If it sounds a little questionable, I want to see like source material, maybe ancient references, you know, things like that. So it's all about um, sort of treating, you know, love others like as you love yourself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that is I'm trying to teach or present content to others the way that I would receive it well. And then you find there are, like you said, there's people that are just hungry for that. Like, hey, can we talk this through? We don't need to dodge it. We don't need to be scared of disagreement, but we also don't just need dogmatic statements. You know, we need, we need to work through it. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, I do want to ask you, uh, let's just dive right into this. So again, I I just want all the listeners to know that Mike is a pastor. He looks at everything biblically. So all I expect all, and I'm a big fan. So I watch all his YouTube videos. So I already know his, his spiel, right? He's going, he's going to tell you, look, I'm looking at everything through a biblical lens. He's not telling us how to vote. He's not, he's not coming here as a party guy. He's coming here to explore these ideas as they relate to faith. And so, and if you don't share the Christian faith, Maybe you'll find something in here that you can um, use in your own uh, faith tradition that makes sense to you. But um, I know there are a lot of people, I get this question all the time because I talk a lot about, because I'm a former liberal, became a conservative later on in my life. Um, I'm a former Canadian socialist, and now I'm like a super red meat patriotic American. Like, <laughs> And Um, So people often ask me, like, how do I have conversations with people who disagree with me politically because the climate is so tense, the climate is so angry. And you say, you know, we 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 employ the golden rule, right, which is treat others the way that you would wish to be treated, love others as, as you would love yourself. But what if the people that we're talking to don't want to employ the golden rule and we get rejected or judged? Um, maybe more harshly than we deserve. What about yeah. what then? Um, well, I mean, that happens all the time. And, and you know, this from being on, you know, being in the public eye is it's going to happen a lot more. <laughs> to you. yeah. And so you'll get, there's people who probably, because you're in the public eye, this happens to me. They think too highly of you. And there's those who think, think too lowly of you. And it's difficult to find someone who has balance sometimes, but, yeah. um, but the, uh, you know, for me, it's a little easier because, I prioritize these issues a little differently than probably those who are talking about them in the public square often do. Um, I look at a lot of these political issues as secondary, not mm-hmm. all of them, but but a, a large number of them. And so I'm okay with saying, hey, I don't, I don't have to talk to you about that. And for me, when I notice that um, a person, when a, when a political issue comes up, that they're becoming emotional, that's when often I'll either stop talking or I'll switch to question mode where I, I just let them express themselves. And I'm learning from them and I'm, I'm earning, a, and this isn't just a strategy to do this, but this is a good side effect is that you earn like a credibility with that person by letting them express themselves. Why do you feel that way? What do you think about this? Oh, what, what, what do you see as this? And I, <clears throat> so this happened not long ago at a family gathering. Someone was talking about 
uh, gun control. And they were very passionate about it. And it came off immediately that way. And I thought, I'm not going to push back in any way, shape or form on this topic with this individual. I'm just going to ask him questions. And um, you, you gain a lot of ground by just asking questions with people. You earn like that, that sense of credibility so that when you do speak to something, they're ready to listen because they think you've listened, but also you're informed on what they really think as opposed to maybe what you assumed about them. So then, so I think that can, I think that can often help and it's okay just to say, Oh, interesting. And not feel like you have to correct everything. Sometimes I think about this, like imagine how much stupid Jesus was surrounded with, with the disciples all the time <laughs> where they'd say things and he just, he'd be like, no, that's wrong. No. Yeah. Like they're wrong so many times, you know, Jesus was probably very selective about when to offer correction. And he chose obviously the right moments or the best times and the most important issues. So I think that we, um, we live in a culture that wants to, you know, the, the, the two bifurcated sides, right. The, the liberal and the conservative sides, the tendency, at least on public in public squares is to correct every issue. Mm-hmm. And that's really not healthy in interpersonal relationships to do that. So, so yeah, I don't know if that, that helps at so all. But good. Yeah. No, that is really good. Well, that, a, that's what I, I say all the time. I actually have a whole episode on how to talk politics with your liberal friends and relatives, but it's not really about liberals and conservatives. It is just about that, that yeah. kind of thing, giving space for people to be wrong, um, yeah. giving space for people to ask questions and knowing that you don't have to have the last word, which is something I've had to learn as a TV pundit. You know, whenever I go on the news, I only get like 30 seconds to make a point and the, the next person has the last word. I have to live with the fact that their last yeah. word is wrong and yep. I know it's wrong and I can yep. tell them why it's wrong, but I don't get that time. So I have to be okay with, with just someone thinking I'm wrong. You have to be okay with people thinking you're wrong. We yeah. know this as Christians even, right? Like you have to be okay with people thinking that you're stupid for believing in, you know, sky daddy or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's right. It's, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to change. So you may as well come to terms with it. But the book of Proverbs gives us great wisdom on these things. Like it talks about, and like say the book of James too, it says, you know, be, be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to wrath. I think this is great advice for political conversations. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'll, I'll, I'll really, I'm asking questions. I'm gathering info and I'm slow to wrath. I'm not going to, once I feel myself getting hot under the collar, I'm probably going to handle this conversation wrong now. Mm-hmm. And, and because what James says is the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think the wisdom there is, look, God can get angry and still do the right thing. You're not so good at that. <laughs> so, so it's good to slow down. Proverbs talks about it too. It says like that, um, you know, he who answers an issue before they listen to it, mm-hmm. that it's a folly and a shame to that person. So I want to make sure I hear what they're saying before I respond. Um, but this isn't to say, just get on the fence and don't talk as, as a Christian, who's not as well grounded in on political issues. Cause I don't think that I'm not like the go-to source on that. Right. Right. Um, I want there to be Christians who are openly speaking on these issues and helping guide me through it. And I find that it's hard to find people you feel you could trust mm. on these topics. And even, even if you lean one way or another, it's just difficult to find sources you believe in that, that aren't just sort of towing a party line with, with sort of that, that error that what Jesus talks about the plank in the eye, where there's like these blind spots to their mm-hmm. own issues. Mm-hmm. And so I, I throw my hands up in the air sometimes and go, I don't even know who to turn to for reliable data on this stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually, you might be interested in the podcast I did on uh, where do you find reliable news? I gave some tips on how to find reliable, reliable news. The answer is there is none, but <laughs> I go, I'm a little more nuanced than that. So you might want to check that one out, Mike, but yeah, this, does, this does bring me to the question that I wanted to ask about getting agitated about getting angry because I, at first you make a really great point about you not being a political being, you know, you're uh, you're a spiritual leader, you're a spiritual engager. That's how you engage the public square, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't that right. other people aren't equipped for it. But I do know plenty of Christians who will tell you that, you know, it is not our place to be imbo- involved in politics. Um, there, for me, there's two views, right? Cause I come, I was raised by atheists. I'm a former, former atheist myself. And then I, I got saved as a teenager. Um, and so I took that journey. I'm also black. So I've been a member of the black church off and on for many, many years. I live in orange County now, so there's not that many black churches around here. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I grew up in orange County. Well, North orange County. Yeah. I'm South. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. Were You're mariners. the better part. <laughs> You're the good part. Of orange <laughs> we're by the beach. Yeah. We were Mariners people. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I have these two traditions where in the black church, we're hyper-political. All politics gets done through the pulpit of the black church. My father-in-law is a pastor and he was one of the few pastors I ever, black pastors I ever met who was like, no, I don't preach politics from the pulpit. The pulpit is for God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then there's this other tradition where we're in the evangelical set. There are so many people who are like, it's really not our place. You know, what the government says is what the government says. We're tasked to follow the law, you know, to render unto Caesar as it were. Right. Biblically speaking, is there a place for Christians in political debate, in protest movements like the trucker convoy we're seeing or or even Black Lives Matter or, or whatever? Is there space for us or do we really need to be more sort of in the background? Okay, well, it, it seems to me that both of the extremes that you lined out there seem to be wrong. They both seem to be wrong. Um, so there's a place for it. But let me first say this. Um, okay, here's some principles that I'll throw out there that I think are solidly biblical. Um, one is that the um, the intersection of politics and government cannot truly be separated. Or excuse me, politics and religion. They can't really be totally separated, right? There's there's some degrees of separation, but there's definite overlap. Like the Bible has commentary on, on governments and how they're to be run. It's not as much as some people think, but there is commentary on there and it's very important. And it's like, God's like, I'm going to judge every nation, not just Israel, every nation based on this. So, you know, that that's significant, but does that mean every government policy has like a biblically informed direction? And it's like, well, not precisely in my opinion. Okay. So as far as I can tell, and so that there's, there's no true way to fully separate politics and government. So in my head, I don't think of it as separating the two. I think um, I want to teach scripture. And when scripture incidentally overlaps onto politics, or you might say politics has sort of invaded an area where the scripture speaks to, I'm going to teach what scripture says, whoever side that is on. And I think that's really relevant is to just recognize that as long as the preacher is teaching the word of God, as long as the pastor is teaching scripture and they're not towing a party line and finding a Bible verse to support it, then I'm fine with that. So I have a video on the death penalty, for instance, where contrary to very popular opinion, 
I think the death penalty is biblical and that and government should actually enforce the death penalty. I did a because... death penalty episode of this show. <laughs> okay, I agree. Right. It was one of my more controversial ones, but I agree with you. Right, because <laughs> even many conservatives would say they don't like the death oh, penalty. Oh, yeah, and do. Yes, many. And I think that there's there's obviously problems that can arise in it, but sure. I think that it's biblical and God seems to judge nations for not doing it because it's a refusal to enforce justice into the needs of the of the community. So um there's an example of one. Abortion is an example that I think is is unequivocal. Um, I've you you could say, well, you're just being conservative. It was like, well, no, I, I'm trying to look at scripture, and that's forcing me to that view. But let's now look at how when we read the Bible, we're reading an environment that's so different than, say, the United States. Mm. We, we have a democracy, a rep- representative democracy. So I actually have a vote. So I have something of a role in government, even though it's minute. It's this tiny little thing. But they had no role, (laughs) you know, so it never came up how you should vote in the New Testament times. Like this wasn't on anybody's mind because nobody votes. So what (laughs) they're instructed is submit to the government. Mm. But you can absolutely rebel when you're when your obedience to God requires rebellion to the government. Right. There's there's your rebellion moment as a Christian. You know, uh, Peter's told, don't preach Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to preach Jesus whether you like it or not. And he has this phrase that we often hear quoted, which is, you know, if it's better to obey man than God, you decide. <laughs> and Peter kind of puts it back on them. And he's like, obviously, the highest authority is God. So if God tells me to do it, I'll do it. But I believe that the Bible and the New Testament in particular, Christianity, right, post-resurrection, when the gospel goes beyond the nation of Israel to all people, that the gospel and Christianity was designed to fit into any government system. Mm-hmm. So that whether it's communism or socialism or democracy or whatever that we were meant or a monarchy, we were meant to fit anywhere and be good citizens who honor Christ and present the gospel. I think that that was a design, intentional design on God's part. And so we don't have like, this is the form of government Christians. Once they become dominant in a society, they should push this form of government. That doesn't mean that there isn't better and worse forms of government. I'm just suggesting that. The commitment to the gospel is so strong that this issue becomes so secondary that we can't tell Christians to get up in arms and fight against, say, a monarchy form of government. Instead, it's I, I mean, my impression is it's more like when it comes to the issue of rebellion, not mm-hmm. not a peaceful advocation. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, that that's when we just submit and we honor Christ unless the government's asking us to do something opposed to God. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. It's, it's, if I'm going to remember this, I'm going to put it on t-shirt. So (laughs) it's obedience to when your obedience to God means disobedience in the face of government. That makes total sense. This is why I, one of the reasons why I do this podcast, I always say I'm a, I'm a lover of freedom. I love freedom. And I think that the gospel of Christ and the gospel of freedom go hand in hand. I don't think you have one without the other. I don't think I can really defend American sovereignty and freedom without defending the gospel without, you know, because the gospel is what brought us this type of freedom. And we seem to have in America, we have a different, I believe as a former Canadian, I can tell you this for sure. We look at freedom way differently here than we do than anybody else anywhere in the world. It's, it's a foreign concept, even to your neighbors to the north. When you when Canadians talk about free speech, they don't mean what we mean when we say free speech. They mean freedom of expression, which means you're not free to hurt someone's feelings. You're not free to lie, which I would argue are the 
only forms of free speech, really, because it's not an effort to um, listen to speech that you already like. But but um, in that and in that regard, I wonder if sometimes we can. Um, I'm trying to ask you a question about human nature here. Let me form it in my mind. I wonder, Mike, I say this all the time, if humans have hearts for freedoms, but bodies for bondage, because we always seem to be, we seek freedom that you can see that throughout history in all the civil rights movement, slavery, whatever, the, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, you know, coming out of slavery, but yet we always seem to get ourselves into bondage situations. We always seem to elect leaders or propel leaders that are corrupt that end up holding us in bondage. We even do it in relationships, you know, or we, I just feel like there is something that we long for freedom, but we're always hurtling towards bondage. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, from a, my perspective, it's, it's um, people are, you know, the Christian worldview of people is both really bright and really dark. So it's really bright. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a glorious light filled idea of humans because we're made in the image of God and we have these incredible capacities, but it's very dark. It's very scary. It's very like walking through a dark alley because people aren't actually good, right? We have, we have sinful tendencies and we we're, we're cruel and rude and mean and selfish and, and horrible. And so take these people and put them in power. What's going to happen <laughs> inevitably. And personally, I'm a fan of the American style of government of checks and balances the idea of it because it try it seeks it seems to me you probably know more about this than I do but it seems to me that the government was instituted after a response to what they felt was a great deal of oppression and abuse of government power so they created a form of government that was meant to among other things just limit the ability of government to mess with you and so that's that's I think that's actually pretty serious about sin nature that that makes a lot of sense with the way humans are designed and so obviously the more top heavy the more powerful a government is the more capacity they have for abuse right so the more you know the, the old phrase is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah that's that's <laughs> the idea um and so yeah you know if, if you think of it this way if you have, have a toddler who wants what they want the biggest grace god has given us is that they're really small <laughs> and they can't just beat you up and take it <laughs> but if if that toddler was like to twice your size, like they would just strangle you to death and take whatever they wanted. And it's, it's a sad reality that they actually would do that. You know, humans are just, we're, we're, we're messed up. We have to be. There's a twilight, need... epi twilight zone episode about that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. The old one about the kid that like the kid has that... his whole family hostage basically. Yes. Cause he's basically can do mind control. He's basically super, a superhuman being. And yeah, I look it up. I can't remember the name of it right now. But I remember that. Doesn't he say he's going to send them out to like the cornfield or something? Yeah, like you get to go wander in the desert or something. And and a yeah. stranger stops by and discovers that this really lovely family that is so close is actually terrified of their nine year old, which which is very relevant to culture today. We're all beholden to a bunch of kids who have never worked a job, who have never like had a uh a significant adult experience. Don't get me started. We're talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. But I do oh, want okay, but wait, I want to I want to yeah. add this to what I was saying earlier because okay, in scripture, it, as it's as there's there's commentary to governments where God does 
and it's usually to Israel. It's about Israeli laws, and there aren't. It's not that easy to create parallels to modern governments because there's so much of that was symbolism. It was about Christ and all that. But there are passages where God judges all nations. So that informs us about like responsibilities that a nation has before God, such as uh, oppression is a huge issue. I think right now there's a, there's a, there's a battle over the meaning of the word oppression. Mm -hmm. I think the biblical sense of oppression is you, um, you don't allow the poor to be represented properly um, and get the same sort of legal protections that the rich have that that's actually, and, and I know I, I sound like a Democrat, but I don't, I'm just telling you what scripture says here. Right. <laughs> and I, I don't know any, any, anybody who would actually argue against this idea. Um, then another one of them is to properly punish evildoers. And it's important that those who commit crimes receive punishment. It's actually considered a governmental abandonment of responsibility before God. If you don't have a sentence that fits the crime, that's, mm-hmm. That's actually, I think, an important issue. But um, so, but then how do you combine these two things where there's there are some things towards government in scripture as a Christian? I see that. But then there's this sense in the New Testament where it's assumed you don't have power over that anyways, just submit and honor God. Yeah. But it's because there is this third thing. And the third thing is there are people in government in scripture, and they are given some instructions in the New Testament. So the centurions are probably the easiest example of this. Um the centurions and the soldiers, they come to John the Baptist because he's preaching, right? And he's preaching to Jews, but these are probably not Jews, but they come and they go, Hey, John, we hear your call to repentance. What should we do? And John tells them now here, this is a great moment because he could tell them, well, if you're going to follow the truth, you have to abandon your role in government. But he never says that. He says, don't abuse people. Don't use your power to oppress people. The tax collectors come and they're like, what should we do? And he goes, don't take more than you're supposed to. Uh, okay, well, so these are these are simple rules that do imply something. You can be a follower of Jesus in government. You just do it with honor and dignity and integrity, and you do it with right judgment and all that. And I know there's debates about how all that plays out, but but I what I would say I'd push back really hard against those who think Christians shouldn't be involved in government. There's no teaching on that. I, I just want to suggest. Our primary concern is the gospel. Our primary concern is being good citizens so that we can represent Christ to the world. Amen. Amen to that. Absolutely. So this brings me to a question that one of my um, subscribers had. I I had just t- said I was having you on the program. And so um, somebody asked, Pastor Winger, should we as Christians and followers of Christ influence the culture or is that a lost cause? And I think that that kind of this is a nice transition for that type of question. What do you think? I know I have my opinion. <laughs> What's yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think the, the obvious answer is yes, we should influence the culture. The harder question is, what does that mean? Mm. What are the limits of it? What's the focus of our influence? Those kinds of questions are tougher. Um, when people say influence the culture, often I think what they mean is other than preaching the gospel. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, Make a movie or something. Don't go out there and yeah. tell people about Jesus and hell and heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say this. And for anybody who's not a Christian who's hearing this, like you can understand that if 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 you thought Christianity is true, if you did believe this, you would understand how the most important thing you could do is to tell people about eternal life and a real true loving relationship with God. Like that would be the most important thing. So as long as influence the culture isn't used to push out the preaching of the gospel, the presentation of mm-hmm. how people can be forgiven and know God and be saved, then then I'm I'm cool with influencing the culture. 
Um, <clears throat> so then I, I want to ask questions like, how do I influence the culture? And my number one way of influencing the culture is by being a godly man who's a, a good husband, who's patient and loving and gracious. One day I will be that. <laughs> and, um, and who's a hard worker and who's, who's not a, a, a leech on society and somebody. So I, I want to influence it in concentric circles, starting with my home life. Right. And then I want to go out. But I often think what we do is we just think about influencing culture as what we post on social media. Like that's the whole story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a dangerous way of, of having sort of like, well, you know, okay. Jesus had these Pharisees. He talked to these are like the bad guys in the new Testament. Right. And Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Like they're tombs painted white to look good, but they're full of dead men's bones. And I think a person who doesn't live out as a Christian, if I don't live out godliness in my life, but I do go on social media to post and influence culture, I become that because the, the outside is my social media presence. Mm-hmm. And the inside that that Ben's bones is my actual walk with Christ and my, my godliness in my personal life. So yeah. Um, should Christians influence culture? Yes, but don't push out the gospel. That's the biggest influence we can have. Mm-hmm. And then don't ignore your own personal walk. I, I'm probably saying these people like, duh, duh, but no, this these is things the are easier point. said yeah. than done. <laughs> <laughs> this is the whole point of our podcasts, right? This yeah. is what we were talking about at the top, which is you think you're saying ideas that are very simple, but I get, I'm sure you get the same responses. We really do do the same things. Um, but I'm sure you get these responses too, from people who are like, um, I've, oh, you're, you're saying what I've always thought. I just didn't know how to say it out loud, um, which I think is the greatest compliment you can get. So it's, it seems like a simple concept to us, but have you ever seen a statement from like, let's take Gavin Newsom, for instance, or any sort of elitist academic institution, or I saw a statement on somebody on my chat room posted a, a meme on solo polyamory, which is a new sexual designation category. And it was gobbledygook, right? It was like, a thousand words of nothing. And what people are looking for is that straightforward clarity, that simple, yes, culture, but no, don't push out God. It seems silly and simple to us, but people are starving for it because they're being assaulted with words, but no ideas. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Don't apologize for that. (laughs) Don't apologize for it. Not for it being a simple being simply put and simply put out there. Right. And as a Christian, when I think of influencing culture, I don't actually think about it in the sense of a Republican versus a Democrat discussion. Not Mm -hmm. that there's no relevance there. That's not what I'm saying. But the first thing I think of is my Christian versus the world situation. So I think about issues in our culture, like modesty, uh, uh, family, the responsibilities and calling of a parent, um, godliness and kindness in words, graciousness, but also a a real commitment to genuine righteousness. These are things that I think are absolutely key in influencing culture. Um, You know, wherever, and this is super consistent in the Bible. It's like the prophets, they went out and they preached right and wrong living. They pointed out the right and wrong things that people were doing, not to be mean, but to call them to better lives, to lives of, of obedience to God. Jesus did this. His first words in the gospels are to call people to repentance over and over again. We see this. He's like, repent, turn. And, mm-hmm. and so there's that call John the Baptist. He was a cultural reformer, but it was calling individuals to repentance. And that will have, I'll use a phrase that might bother some people that have a trickle down effect <laughs> on, um, 
on government, because when you have righteous, godly people actually in government, which we, it seems like we have very few of those, <laughs> like I'm shocked at how I have almost no natural respect for the individuals I see leading the, leading the government. You'd be like, right. As someone who's done politics for 12 years and came in very wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, you'd be right. It doesn't yeah. matter what side of the fence you are on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. But this would be a call Sorry. to uh, personal integrity <laughs> yeah. uh, amongst, amongst those people. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling now, but what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's, that's all great. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, well, I, I do think you make a really good point there about influencing the culture where you're at. I mean, Jordan Peterson has this great quote, like you, you can't change the world if you can't make your bed, you know, like, yep deal with what's in your home. I know that as um, one thing that has surprised me being a, becoming a wife and a mother is how influential my family unit has been on the rest of my family, but also like as a black family, like a black middle-class family, people don't get to see people like us very, we're all over the place, but you're pretty much invisible if you're middle-class because you, you don't serve that like top tier of like, look at the huge success you can be. And then you don't serve the bottom tier of like, here's this narrative. So there's plenty of us, but we don't, we don't get seen a lot, Mm -hmm. but the, but the, the way that just my, my husband and I used to be youth leaders in our church back home in Indiana and the, just the kids seeing mom, dad, kids committed relationship in the middle of the hood. It was it was everything. It, it, it changed people like we've had kids come to us later to say, I wanted to be married like you. So I figured out how I was going to do that. I don't think we give enough ourselves enough credit. We want the flashiness and we're going to get picked out to go on Oprah or we're going to get like that five million you know, hit TikTok post. But sometimes like the quietest things you do in your life really are the speak the loudest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's super consistent with New Testament where Paul was talking about, like, if, if a man doesn't take care of his own family, he's like worse than an unbeliever. Mm. That's I mean, those are big words coming that's from big coming from Paul, because he's like, look, if you as a Christian aren't there taking care of your family, that's a top priority first issue. And and yet sometimes we even see people who get involved in serving in ministry as a way of avoiding their family. Yeah. And I don't think it's normal, but I have seen it happen as a pastor where where it's like your home life is rough and you're using ministry as escapism. And that is really unfortunate. And you know, that person's going through it. They do need help. It's not like they're just a villain, but right. it's like, this isn't the fix, you know? <laughs> yeah. Start in the home, start in the home, obedience to God, being a light in the world, changing culture starts in the home. And that that's, makes the biggest difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> I, I think, well, the, you've kind of already answered this, but I'll read it because it was such a good question. But uh, Kay says, I've been struggling with the passages in first Peter where we're to respect and submit to government authority. And I've got the submit down, obeying the law and paying my taxes. But the respect is definitely lacking. I'd love to hear his take on respecting authority with whom we disagree. What does that look yeah. like? Well, I think that we, uh, and this is my own opinion here, my own theory here, is that we in modern Western culture, we um, emotionalize ideas that we read in the Bible. So words like respect or love, we read that and we think, feel that feeling of respect Mm -hmm. or feel a feeling of love. And what it's really saying is 
behave in ways that reflect respect, behave in ways that reflect love. So I think I could be loving to my wife when I feel nothing for her. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I feel nothing, but no, I, I no. think that. <laughs> but yes, love is a choice. Yeah, you're love is a total choice. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's I think it's elevated in value when you're not feeling it. I right. Think that when you when you act it right. out, that's like wow, that's even bigger. Wow, that's even more loving than when you were being. Like it's easy when you're in the honeymoon phase to be loving, right? Well, okay. So in the same sense, it's easy when you look at your leaders and you think, man, I respect that. Like I look up to those leaders. It's easy to be respectful to them. But when they're scoundrels, putting on attitudes of respect is a healthy behavior that you can still do, even though you know in your heart that Mm -hmm. person's a loser, (laughs) but I'm not going to go around and say, I'm not going to use those words because I'm degrading the entire um, structure of authority when I do that. And so the, there's a a phrase in the military where they say, salute the badge, not the person or salute the rank, not the person. And there's a sense in which you're like, Hey, here's, here's a, a general, here's a captain, here's somebody who's giving me instructions and I don't like them. I know they're a terrible person, uh, but I'm still going to salute them. And I'm going to carry out the instructions the same way. Right. I'm not going to let my personal distaste of that person cause me to tear down the, the properness of government and the properness of authority. And I think that that is at least how I work through that issue. So I find myself having, you know, little respect for a lot of government leaders, especially recently when you see some of the stuff that they say in public and then they do in private and you're like, and then, and then lying, openly lying about things. And I see that stuff and I go, yeah, I have no respect for you in regards to your personal character, but I respect the position. And so I will follow these, these rules and I will act in a, you know, the, the British used to be good at this, even though everybody makes fun of them for it, right? (laughs) They'd put on Mm -hmm. an air of respect that could be just pomp, but it can also be, there's a part of it that's just like, Hey, this is just actual. I'm respecting the role. I'm respecting the authority. I'm respecting the structure, even though the person in it is a (laughs) dirtbag. Yeah, that red book up there on my bookshelf is George Washington's etiquette book that he wrote when he was 14. And it's called Rules for Civil Discourses. It's a it's a very long name that a 14 year old made up, but it's got, I don't know, (laughs) 200, 300 little bullet points of of how to behave in civil society. And he spends a lot of time talking about even if you hate this person, you know, you always let the higher rank take seat, the seat first. You don't leave till he leaves. You don't shake until he puts his hand out like all yeah. of these little things that add up to. But, Mike, let me ask you this. Um, biblically speaking, do we have to respect authority? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Softball. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, the Bible is actually really clear on this and it, and it, and it gives us the reason. So in Romans, it tells us that we should, we should respect and yield to authorities because there's no authority except from God. Mm-hmm. Now people misunderstand this. It's Romans 13, I think. And people misunderstand this passage because they'll sometimes think it means whatever the authority says is a command from God, but that's not true. That It's not saying that it's saying something more nuanced than that. Oftentimes authorities give commands that are against God and you even rebel if you have to against that command. But what it's suggesting is that God's the ultimate authority and therefore all the authorities that exist in the human realm borrow authority from him. And if I come against a command to honor God, that's a way of preserving God's authority. But if I come against the authority in general, if I just rebel against government in general, like anarchy type stuff, 
then what I'm actually doing is I'm sort of kicking against God's authority. And so this, this is going to sound strange to people who haven't really thought about it before, but that seems to me to be the biblical like rule that we're getting here is that there's no authority except from God and God's appointed those authorities. Now to encourage your heart, everyone in those roles, government roles, authority roles, police, whoever, they're accountable to God for their actions and he will deal with them. But you're accountable for yielding to ultimately his authority as you see it disseminated through various different organizations. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I believe in hell, of course, because if there's no hell, then there doesn't seem to be justice. So at some point there's some kind of justice. It's easy to look and say, well, this murderer got away with this, or this rapist got away with this, or this governor or dictator got away with slaughtering millions of people. But if you, if we hold to the idea that there is universal justice, then we have to hold to the idea that justice will be brought just not where we where and when we can see it maybe someday we'll get to witness it but but it is really important i i I feel very strongly again this is this clarity issue this is why it is really really important to have clarity on on who's accountable who you're accountable to what their punishment is we have to always be sure that we're punishing wrong behavior or unjust behavior i should say because human beings need clarity in order to feel safe. And I just think there, and we need patterns. And right now we're living in a society where the patterns are just being blown up. And I just think people are, are starving. Well, I let, I, I'm running out of time. So I want to ask you this question. It is a little bit political, but it's also tongue in cheek because as a, uh, as a, like I have, um, I love, I heart Jesus in my Twitter bio. I'm very smarmy, sarcastic. I have a mouth on me. I push back on people at Twitter. And so oftentimes like the people who hate God are the first people to point you to that. I love Jesus in your, you have, I love Jesus in your bio. Well, I said, I love Jesus. I said nothing about being a decent human being. That's not, (laughs) the two are not mutually exclusive, but I get a lot of, if you love Jesus, Kira, then you would recognize that Jesus was a socialist. Why aren't you a socialist? I get this all the time. Jesus was a socialist. Therefore, we as Christians should embrace socialist governance. Sure. Let's say I, I, I was to give away all I own and donate it to the poor. Does that make me a socialist? No. No, because socialism, as I understand it, is government enforced redistribution of money. That's at least a key part of it, right? And so you've got you've got Jesus encouraging people to give to the poor and all that sort of thing. But this, of course, presumes they have control of their own funds. Uh, we don't actually have any commands from Jesus to suggest that governments should enact a policy of X y or z regarding those things so to read jesus as a socialist is to it seems to me um be so clumsy with how we read the bible or so just committed to your socialism that you will hijack even jesus himself for your cause and this happens on both sides okay there are There are plenty of Republicans who quote the Bible out of context to support themselves in some campaign speech so they could help get the religious vote. And there are plenty of socialist 
Democrats who are going to say like, well, Jesus was a socialist. And it's just like, you're all doing violence to Jesus. Just let Jesus be Jesus. He was, he, there's nothing to say he was a socialist. He did tell one rich man to sell all he had, but that was only one guy. That seemed to be a very specific command. That guy needed to hear that because of his, his love for money. He didn't tell everyone to do that. There was actually a group of, of well-off women who followed Jesus around during his teachings and sponsored his ministry. Oh, Now, that doesn't seem like it could have been possible on socialism. There was a woman in Acts named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Purple was like ritzy, rich garments. Okay, so she was like selling Gucci or whatever. <laughs> so she's selling rich clothing. And she, through her funds, is able to sponsor other people in ministry. And like we, Phoebe, this other, another, a lot of wealthy women actually were Christians in the early first part of the church who actually is a sponsor who pays for Paul on his missionary journeys. Now, those people couldn't do those things if we enacted a socialistic rule in the churches, right? Because you just wouldn't have rich. Like, and if you take Jesus's command to, about to the one guy to sell all he has and give it to the poor, and you had every Christian sell all they had and give it to the poor, Six months later, you'd have every Christian with their hands out on the corner of every street, making Christianity look horrible. <laughs> like it would, it would look good for a minute, and it would look really bad. So I, there's just is nothing here about socialism uh, because government control and, and forms of government are simply not being discussed at this time at all. It's just not being talked about there. There is a presumption, you could say, of personal property. And having control of your own personal property, like in the book of Acts, a lot of people sold what they had and pooled it together. Um, if, if you have the time, I'll give you a quick story from this. Yeah, um, please. Okay. So in Acts, in the very early church, there's a group of people who sell all they have. They pool it together. This is communal living. It really was communal living. Is it socialism? Uh, no, because there's no government involved, right? Mm -hmm. It's literally a group of people pooling their resources. So it's more like a kibbutz, like a modern Israeli kibbutz where they, they you could call that socialism, but it's not. Um, it's communal living. But what's interesting is people don't notice the bigger picture here, which is when the, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, like after Jesus's resurrection, there's, there's a special moment in Israel called uh, Pentecost, right? There is this, this uh, feast day about bringing in the first loaves of, of the first bread and the first sheaves of grain and stuff. It's a feast. They all come to, Israel, to Jerusalem, this one city in Israel. That's where they are when they hear the gospel and they get saved. These people don't want to go back home all over Israel after hearing the gospel. They want to stay and listen to the apostles teach. So they sell homes or they sell property and pool resources to live where they don't own property. So it was temporary communal living so they could sit and get the message from the apostles. Then they probably went back out and preached all over the place. We don't see in the book of Acts, anybody repeat this. We don't see continuing. So in other words, it was a good thing. I'm, I'm happy it happened and it can happen again but it cannot be made into a rule for Christians like that. This is socialism being taught in the scripture. So people mistake generosity giving um, and instructions for uh, taking care of the poor to be socialism when the government was never involved in any of it. Mm. What I really see is Christians who love po the poor so much that when they go to church and they see poor believers there, they go, Hey, what do you need? I've got plenty. Let me, let me take care of you. Let me, let me bless and help you. And they prioritized believers here because they're part of the family. So it, when we read socialism, we, we just into scripture, we just can't read scripture anymore. Right. It just becomes a, the Bible's a tool to push our political agenda. And that, that irritates me. <laughs> I wanna, 
I want to follow scripture. I want to follow God. I, I don't want to just teleport 21st century political issues into the Bible. We're doing this a lot. I find it very disturbing. It's one of the things I really appreciate about your online ministry is it helps me too, because being in politics all day long, I mean, you do one of the reasons why my Twitter feed looks like it does sometimes, or I'm just like being snarky. And I know even my subscribers would be like, you're not that bad, Kira, but to me, it's bad. And, (laughs) and I, um, but I see that like, we're making so much, we're, we're trying to filter God through this 21st century filter and our, the worlds are so completely different. And that is what I appreciate about you is you're picking this apart and you're, you're challenging us to see the, the pure message of the gospel for its eternal value, not its value in this very temporary argument. The thing I can't explain this to my kids so that they'll believe it. But the thing that you're arguing about today that you think makes you the wokest, most, you know, with it person in when you're my age in 20, 30 years, you'll be wrong, right? Somebody will come along, but God never changes. Your, your identity could be bisexual or polyamorous or whatever label you will non-binary, whatever label you're choosing to identify by these days. And I do find kids have this really weird need to pick labels. We talk about that in my house a lot, but the only label that never changes is, you know, the kingdom label. So there's a steadiness and a, and a steadfastness and that's biblical, right? I am who I am. And same today, uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But anyway, I guess I say all that to say that we are really up against a culture that's trying to modernize Jesus and, and not that doesn't recognize that Jesus is already mo- modern. He's still alive. So he's still here. He's not somebody who's come and gone. He's right. still alive. Uh, so we can talk about him in the present tense. And he is still, he is a modern man. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really neat way of putting it because it's so true. What, <clears throat> what we're really getting here is the, the, um, the hijacking of Jesus. And I don't see personally, uh, I don't see anybody doing it more than those on the Democrat side. I'm just giving you my observation, right? Like not just Democrats. It's not like all Democrats by any means. No, most most aren't doing it. Right. But some of the vocal advocates, which usually represents a small minority of people, some of the real vocal advocates of the real like democratic socialism and the transgenderism. And I call like those that. the progressive. That's the progressive yeah. wing. I don't necessarily call them liberals i call them progressive okay well there you go and maybe that's a better designation progressive yeah. the, there's a, a a strong thread of i will cram jesus into my progressive views no matter what he ends up looking like when he comes back out and so i hear people saying things like uh jesus was uh was was trans like this yeah. is a claim i'm hearing and i'm like i'm uh- like when you can say something like that it's just a clear indication that you're just making a new religion literally and you, and you want the credibility of Jesus for it. That's what it feels like at that point. What's yeah. the guy, um, Brandon, what's his face? Um, Is it, uh, Brandon Robertson. He's the pastor who preaches, um, that God, you know, God approves of your polyamorous relationship yeah. and your, yeah, the young, yeah, that's young. Oh, I watched, 
before I let you go, I have to tell you this since I have you on the line and I've always yeah. wanted to say this to you since I saw your little breakdown video <laughs> of him. I had to turn off your video because there are some things that a black woman won't have in her house. And I don't even <laughs> want that boy's mouth fixing itself to say some of this stuff. I could not believe the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. Right. It was straight up blasphemy. It wasn't even yeah. just like, hey, we have these doctrinal disagreements right. and even if you're a christian liberal and i'm a christian conservative hey we still agree on these core ten this boy was he the jesus he had i'd never seen anything like it and i was yeah. so glad you addressed it because we shouldn't let those things stand that's not my realm of expertise so i didn't feel like i could comment on it but we have an absolute obligation to crush that evil where we see it and I remember making a comment to you on Twitter and he tweeted. I, I remember saying something like I had to turn it off because I didn't even want to get struck by lightning. And he <laughs> tweeted back. He was like, well, thank well, thankfully, our God doesn't take out his wrath on people. Yeah. Lightning. I'm like, you know what? Get out of my timeline right yeah. now. <laughs> get thee behind me. Say it was the m most blasphemy I've ever seen. And it frightens me, Mike, that that is raging in the American church these days. Yeah. It is raging, but it, it, let me give you some hope. It can't last. It, it's I, I think it's impossible for it to last. It's a trend. It's a, it's a little blip. And because God gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures, and these will always be bringing the people of God away from such horrific distortions. And so what seems interesting to someone for a while, <clears throat> I'd, be, I'd like to see a long term study of those who fall into those kinds of extreme progressive ideas and whether they hold it for lengths of time or whether they're able to pass it on to younger generations, because I really doubt it. I really doubt it. It's just a thread of apostasy goes through every generation. Um, overall, what we're really seeing here is I don't think we're getting a new Christianity that will last. I think that <clears throat> progressive Christianity, which, which sadly is in many cases, not Christianity at all that what it is, is it's just a segue to secular atheism or functional atheism. You believe in God, but you're going to, or perhaps maybe I'll say um, uh, imaginationism, right? I'm just going to sort of imagine my own religion and kind of live by that and nobody judge anybody and we'll all just do our own thing. Um, I think that that's what it is. Personally, I think it's just segue, but because it's a segue, it's, it's, it's a gate. It's like the gateway drug to yeah. uh, just, inventing your own religious beliefs. But I don't understand why you would just like that Brandon guy. I just keep thinking like, I don't mind that he thinks this way, but why choose Jesus then? You know what I mean? Like why Jesus seems to be like, you have to do so many acrobatics and intellectual uh, pretzels to, to work your way around to Jesus was trans and he approves of your polyamorous relationship that it makes me wonder why would you choose Jesus? Why not choose Buddha or why not choose some figure that is very easily malleable? There's all these rules that come with Christianity. Why would you even bother? That's, that's such simple, practical wisdom. <laughs> choose something else. that's way easier yeah. to operate within and, and leave the, the, you know, the cranky conservative Christians to their rules that they love so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I mean, on one side you've, you've got, there is, I mean, Satan's alive and well, and he really is trying to draw people away and um, creating false versions of Christ is, is an effective tool to do that. But another side of it is that what's consistent in a lot of progressive Christians, a common thread I'm seeing is a genuine uh, 
degree of despising event what they consider white evangelical Christianity. Yes. yes. And what they what they then go on to talk about isn't just some sort of peculiarly white Christianity or some peculiarly modern evangelical. What they what they do is they drag it because there are some legitimate criticisms you can bring them in against any group. Sure, yeah. And every evangelical I know it says that, right? So there's nothing new here. Complaints about the evangelical church. So I talk about them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And every every evangelical I know is open to that, right? But what the progressives are doing is they're they're um they're not distinguishing between that peculiarly evangelical, more modern little flavor that's been added into. Rather, they're just bringing everything in scripture there too, and they're reconstructing a new version of Christianity that reflects their preferred views. And so they have an enemy, evangelical, white, especially white, they call white evangelicalism, and they have an agenda to replace it with their own version. And, you know, this is, this is wrong from the beginning because it's not based on commitment to Christ, but Christ is going to be drug along and painted with their current views, whether, you know, whether that's accurate or not. I'm going to let you go, Mike, but I'm going to close with this one question. Um, John Adams said that the constitution that he gave us was made for a holy, moral, and religious people. And I, I think I agree with that, that, that our constitution really uh, rests on the notion that there is a creator uh, that gives us human rights so that, that that cannot come from man and be bestowed by man. That's a very important uh, note in our constitution and it comes with the idea of the foundation of understanding human nature right the human nature is base the human nature will always skew towards bondage and so in order to combat that we have this list of uh, of restrictions on the government in order to allow people to be as free as possible to make their own choices but lately when we look around mike it does and we live in well, are you still in california California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We live in California. We both live in Orange County, but we're both very close to LA. You're closer well, than I am. I'm LA County now. Yeah. Oh, you're LA County now. Oh, yeah. All right. God bless you. Okay. Well, <laughs> which is which for people who don't know is a very different place than Orange County. A very different place from Orange <laughs> yeah. County. Uh, that's very different. Um, we can't afford to live in Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Maybe know because I don't. I can't afford to live in LA. To be honest, I can't afford some of the heart attacks that that place gives me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, we could we could do a whole LA podcast, but we are not <laughs> going to do that. I did that podcast, Mike. If you want to hear it, it's called "Why Is California's Homeless Problem So Bad?" And I break down oh, yeah. the homeless issue and I tell yeah. people all the little nuances. <laughs> So, but I will say this, we, so we live in California where we're known to be a hotbed of, 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 of cultural, I don't know how to like looseness and debauchery. And we look around and we see people on TV and social media and movies and film, all of these things being distorted, even the very notion of gender and, and the very notion of, of, of male and female roles is being distorted by pop culture. And um, it feels like we're sliding into immorality never to return. And I know we all kind of are hurtling towards the end at some point, wherever the end may be, it might be in a hundred years. It might be still in a million years to come, but what hope do people have? Because I, I get so many discouraging, discouraged messages from uh, subscribers who are Christians like me and you or people of faith. I have a lot of Jewish um, listeners as well who say, I trust God 
You know, I love God, but I look around and I don't see any hope. I am heartbroken. I'm heartbroken that my kid is being taught maybe um, suspect racial concepts in school that, that aren't based on, you know, the biblical concept of, of being created in his image. I'm, I see people um, cutting off their family, you know, for a vote they made or, you know, or a policy they supported cutting off their family over liking a guy that neither of them knows, you know, we see this snowballing, this sort of tumble into immorality. And we have this system of government that is made for immoral people. It feels like we're just on the slide and there's no way to kind of crawl back up that slide to the top. Yeah. How, what Do you have any words of encouragement or maybe you don't, maybe you're just like, nope, just like buy your, <laughs> Buy your pre-prepared meals and go <laughs> head off. Yeah, the I I think two years and then it's that's it. It's all over. <laughs> Maybe I'm two years isolate tops. that and put that on. <laughs> Mike, where yeah. you have two years? No, let me. Okay, let me share a few things. Uh, okay, God has given us the church, and I think a healthy church, which obviously is not always the easiest thing to find. And some people have really struggled. You've struggled to find a healthy church and a healthy environment like that. And I'm sorry, I get, I feel your pain. I do think though that a healthy church is something of a sanctuary for people experiencing this kind of thing. When you have a group of people who are experiencing the love of Christ and a sense of familiness and over years, as you go, there's a belonging and, and the part of the thing that breaks my heart is seeing some of this really divisive stuff going into churches. Right. Um, but we can try to be the church by, by being those who are building bridges and not dividing over these issues in our local fellowships. But I think of that as kind of a sanctuary for those who are experiencing some of these things uh, around the world. Another thing I'd say, though, is um, if you read really old works, and I mean old works like a thousand years old, 2000, they talk about the same stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like, Kids these days, yeah. they don't respect their I parents. Plato, who was complaining <laughs> about the young generation that are lazy. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking about this just the other day. I was thinking about the perspective change you have as you get older. Mm. There's things I did, said, and watched when I was a kid that I didn't think were a big deal, that were really bad. And now as an adult, I see those things and it shocks me. <laughs> and so in my head, it's gotten worse. When really I'm just becoming more aware. Mm. So there's an element. Okay. I'm not saying things aren't getting worse in measurable ways, but there's yeah. part of it is just, I'm become, I've become more discerning and more sensitive to how messed up things are. So when I see a group of teenagers, I often see them engaging with each other and talking. And I think they're so dumb. <laughs> they're so, they're so carnal and selfish and mean, you know, and I never thought that as a teenager. Right, right. So I could, right. I could easily. And I'm, I'm right. Adults about, are so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's adults are dumb. They don't get it. Um, I could easily think that teenagers have changed mm -hmm. until I remember what I was like when I was a teenager, and then I go, "Oh no, it's not that they've changed; it's that I've changed." So part of it is, as you become more, hopefully, more godly, more aware, more morally aware, you do see more problems as you look around. That doesn't mean there are more. Um, okay. That being said, there are more in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> in some measurable ways, there's more. Um, but but what I feel like society is doing is, I don't know if society is exactly getting worse or if we're just trading sins, like like trends. Mm. 
you know, like this sin is, is becoming more popular and more prevalent and stuff like that. I don't know if that, if that maybe is the case. Um, definitely some statistics seem like they can bear this out with, with statistics on marriage, divorce, uh, promiscuity that can show like measurable worseness in our culture, but be encouraged with this, that there are times in history where these things were that bad or worse in various places. Such a good point. Yeah. It, it just doesn't help us if we assume things are going to get worse and they can't get better. And this is something I see um, amongst conservatives more than any other group, at least in my own observations, the assumption that there's a downhill slide that's inevitable and that paralyzes us. And that causes us not to pick up and go and fight for what's right and, and good. Are you sure and, you don't listen to my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just talking about pastors. Even I've heard, you know, I, a pastor, I saw I was at a conference one time and he's talking about how it's the end times and we're close to the apostasy and all this stuff. And I said, I pulled him aside and I just asked him, I said, like, you know, what if you're wrong? Mm. What, what message are you sending to the younger generation of believers? If you're wrong about this inevitable negative spiritual slide. Mm. And he was like, well, I'm not wrong. <laughs> okay, well, well, all right, I'm pretty sure he was wrong was <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, yeah it, when I see moral slides downhill, we saw, here's an example. Last thing I'll say is example. Oh, yeah, go in ahead. This, in yeah. the 60s and 70s, we saw a massive moral downslide in, yes. in American culture. Yes. We also saw a massive spiritual revival called the Jesus movement. So true. So true. And sometimes yeah. one is right before the other. And at least that's what I'm hoping for. That's interesting. You say that because my parents are hippie atheists, right? That's what that was their generation. They were the protest generation. They're boomers. My, my, my mom is still like super granola, like environmentalist activist boomer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got saved on the tail end of the Jesus movement, which was the counter to the boomer the baby boomers, um, promiscuity and all that. I grew up with parents who told me, you know, you should have as many sexual partners as possible by the time you're 30. So that you it's like, try it on shoes. You should, you should now thank God. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. I I was saved by the time I got that advice. And I was like, it sounds bad. (laughs) I don't know. I literally know nothing about marriage. Everyone around me is divorced, but I just feel like this is bad advice. So I'm not yeah. gonna I'm not gonna take it. And thankfully I I, you know, God gave me a godly man and we celebrated 23 years and wow. it's number and um, I'm proud of that. But yeah, I think that's a really good point that I haven't thought about, Mike. That yeah, these these movements kind of go hand in hand. And I wonder, are you do you see any signs of revival happening or are we there? Um yet? I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how to gauge those kinds of signs. Um, yeah, so yeah. <clears throat> uh, sometimes it's more of, you know, when you're deep in it, you see it, but, but as far as like what's going on, like, uh, let me just say this is that I see a great hunger and I see those needs aren't being met. And I'm speaking now pastorally. Um, we've, we've, we decided to like, look at a lot of our local churches. You know, I don't I'll have a lot of experience with other churches, right. Mostly just where I've been. And so I was looking at other churches and I'm seeing how, uh, and I don't want to be rude to them because I think that there are places where God is working and, and those people, many of them very much love the Lord. Okay. So I'm not trying to criticize, but I see that there's like this lack of direction and vision from the leadership as to what it means to know the word of God and to teach and lead people. And, um, and so as 
okay, it'd, it'd be different if I saw that and didn't see hunger. Right. But I see hunger from lots and lots of people. I mean, my, my own content growing is because of this. They're like, I yes, wanna, man, I want 100%. the work. Yeah, I want the work. I want the. Yeah. So let me say that when I see that hunger in the masses, that to me is a potential for what mm-hmm. could could snowball into something wonderful. And um, but but what even if it doesn't, even if things just keep going downhill, then I'm going to be someone who's fighting it the whole way. Me too. I don't even know how to not fight it. This is my version of the ministry. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, every day, my subscribers know every day, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just yeah. going to go back to theater or whatever, you know, or I'm yeah. just going to, yeah. But it's like, I can't, I can't, it's not even in me, but part of that is I do believe in, in God's calling. And, um, and I do believe that there is a hunger and that is why I think listeners, it's very important to be clear on what you believe and be able to express it to other people, people don't want your weak, like broad sort of, Hey, all inclusive, this inclusivity intersectional people don't want it. They think they want it. (laughs) They think they want it because it sounds good. It's a big word. Intersectionality. You sound smart when you say it, it means nothing. You know, the, the inner, the only intersectionality that remote that, that, that matters is those two beams of the cross, you know, where heaven meets intersects with earth you know, where grace intersects with our sin. That's it. That's as far as I go. But everybody, everybody else wants to make it something else, but people are starving to just something black and white. This is it. This is wrong. And this is right. And there's a lot of nuance, but some things are wrong and some things are right. And don't be scared to tell people they will love you for it. And I think Mike, that's why we see this is a whole other podcast, which I'd love to talk to you about some other time, but why we see so many people leaving the evangelical church for structured traditions like Catholicism or Anglo, you know, the Anglican church or have a number of friends who have transferred to the Episcopalian church. They like the yeah. tradition. They want the structure and, the, and there's like a sense of authority that's there. Yeah. That they're yeah, hungry yeah, for. yeah. Yeah. Hey, on the note of, um, downsliding spiritually at the same time as things are going down in westernized countries the in in south america in china in the middle east uh christianity is growing rapidly Mm -hmm. it's and and it's there's been those who are predicting that the center of the christian world is going to be like south america um in other other countries that are that are going to be the center of the christian world in the future you know at one point it was kind of like germany type area another point it was sort of like the west britain us and then uh now it's shifting so what i would suggest is uh yeah there's it's westernized countries and this implies that there's worldview issues that are going on there which i think you talk about probably all the time mm-hmm. and i think that's that is the truth yeah all right mike well i um maybe in the future i'll i'll get back with your assistant and see if you will come back because i actually would love to talk to you about um relationships having a lot of questions about finding a godly partner finding a good partner um i've been married for 23 years and so ironically a lot of people think that doesn't make me qualified to talk about relationships but <laughs> I, I feel the opposite what do you know what do you <laughs> I know, know? <laughs> i've just sustained a marriage to another human being for yeah. 23 years um and like five of them have been bliss so no I, uh but i'm having an argument with my producer right now who's editing this show right now he's gonna edit it 
because he thinks he can't, he thinks that there's no good women out there. And I think he's just choosing the wrong women. So yeah. I would love some pastoral <laughs> guidance on that. If you would come sure. back and talk to us someday in the future until then, uh, Mike, what, uh, tell people where they can find you online and more about your ministry. Well, um, the two places people usually find me are on YouTube and my YouTube channel is just my actual name, Mike Winger, W I N G E R. Um, so if you just Google me, it'll pop right up. And the other is my website, biblethinker.org. It's biblethinker.org. And on there, we have like a searchable database of all of the video content over like 600 videos and you can search it. And there's what we call a clip search feature where you could find an exact moment in a video or a particular issue or verse is discussed. And that's something we spent a, a lot of other people have put tons of hours into creating, which I'm very grateful for. And um, yeah, I, I've, to all stuff from a biblical Christian perspective, at least that's my goal. I'm not going to pretend to know it all, but I think that you'll learn a lot. Anybody who watches the content and follows along, I try to go deep. I consider it my job to do the study. You don't have your time. You don't have time to do and then present the content to you in a way that lets you evaluate it. So yeah, hopefully that's helpful. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You guys can find Mike Winger at all of the uh, socials that he just mentioned. And I highly recommend it. Even if there's stuff you don't agree with, you're going to come away thinking. And that is the most important thing that you're thinking. Uh, he's got a lot of doctrinal content on there that some of you might not like, some of you will like, but I, I uh, encourage you to um, just watch everything or just, you know, blow past the ones you don't like. You don't have to watch him say things that you don't like, but he's got a ton of stuff that is relevant to um everything we talk about politically on this show so i'll catch you guys next week and don't forget every once in a while just stop and just listen to yourself